All right, guys, welcome in to today's episode of the Southeast Huge Podcast. It is Tuesday, April 9th, 2019. On today's episode of the podcast, a great in-depth discussion with former Alabama Director of Basketball Operations, Colton Houston. Uh, we caught up to talk about all sorts of stuff uh, within sort of uh, the Alabama basketball realm, as well as his new venture, uh, HD Intelligence. Uh, HDI is going to be something that helps teams all around the country Uh, sort of going through their schedule and sort of helping them from an analytics standpoint, build better schedules, uh, do more sort of advanced data type of stuff that's going to help the program succeed. Uh, And I know he and Matt Dover, who have come together to put this um, in place, are going to have a lot of fun with this, and it's something that's really going to help the game of college basketball. But not only did we talk about that, but we went through some of his favorite memories from being at Alabama for nine years, uh, like I mentioned, in, in several different roles, uh, most recently the director of basketball ops, and he kind of mentions uh, what his maybe most memorable moments were, most memorable games, and just the things that he took away from that experience, you know, being on the SEC level uh, in that role and being able to work with, with all the different coaches and players that he did. Uh, lots of great insight there, just talking about uh, his favorite moments uh, from from that tenure and what he's most excited about as they move forward with this new project. So uh, let's go ahead and jump in to the discussion with former Alabama Director of Basketball Operations and current founder of HDI, Colton Houston. All right, guys, welcome back in to the Southeast Hoops podcast. As mentioned, uh, my guest today is Colton Housen, uh, most recently the director of basketball operations at Alabama. He was there uh, for nine years in some capacity, and Colton, we were laughing about this, but uh, you were at the Final Four, and uh, the narrative seemed to be just how terrible this Final Four is going to be because we didn't have the brand names and all that. So uh, I guess if you recovered yet from what was certainly one of the most memorable Final Fours we've seen in a while. Yeah, Blake. Um, thanks for having me on, by the way. This is uh, it's really fun. Excited to do this. Uh, yeah, I've recovered. I, I actually got home later on Sunday. Didn't stay for the championship game last night. But, um, man, what a great series of games, especially last night. It, it was funny how a lot of people were trying to analyze the game and talk about how low scoring it was going to be or n- not exciting it was going to be. And it turned out to be just the opposite. Yep, it did indeed. And uh, certainly now that one college basketball season's in the books, everybody's already looking ahead uh, to another year. But uh, just starting off, and we, we've got a lot of ground to cover because of what you're, you're doing now and the exciting things you have in the works. But just those nine years you spent at Alabama, it's such a unique opportunity to work uh, in this profession period on a coaching front, of course, as we all know, um, especially at, at an SEC type of level. Well, what were just maybe some of the biggest takeaways you had just from that experience you know it was really special to stay in the same place for nine years and to form those you know relationships and um memories as you said to get to be around players from i mean i I remember (laughs) when i'd been there four years some of the guys that came in as freshmen were graduating i thought that was a big deal but eventually i was around to see some of the guys graduate that we started recruiting in like ninth grade and, and tenth grade so literally to see these boys you know these teenagers grow up, come to Alabama, turn into men, graduate, get their degree, go on to start their professional career is really, really, really rewarding. And it was um, doubly rewarding for me because I grew up 
an Alabama fan. You know, it's, I probably shouldn't say that too loudly now that I have a, <laughs> a business and I'm trying to get clients, but anybody that knows me knows I'm, I'm from Birmingham and I'm right down the road from Tuscaloosa. My dad went to Alabama and I grew up going to those games back in the Wimp Sanderson plaid palace era for your, the hardcore SEC hoops fans. <laughs> they'll know all about the plaid palace, but one of my earliest memories is sitting there watching Robert Ory hit a game winner in the corner. And I feel like I was hooked on Alabama basketball at that point. Um, which I think was my dad's whole intention and bringing me down there. But it was super special, man. In terms of the memories, it's like anything else. The people is probably what you think about the most, the different players, different coaches I've been able to be around. You know, when I started at Alabama in 2010, we had a really good nucleus. Uh, Coach Anthony Grant is the guy who brought me on board uh, originally. And uh, my first year there, we, we, Trevor Relaford was a freshman point guard for us. Uh, Jamichael Green and Tony Mitchell were on the roster. Obviously, Jamichael's had a really good NBA career right now. He's in L.A. with the Clippers. Um, we had a really, really strong nucleus, um, good team that missed the tournament, went to the NIT, made a run to the championship. Next year, we followed that up by getting in the tournament and losing a heartbreaker to Creighton in the first round. Um, and, we, you know, as we moved forward, I was able to be around some other great players, Levi Randolph, Brett Nubasahan, a bunch of others. Um, I was fortunate enough to stay on when Coach Avery Johnson got hired. And, um, you know, Coach Avery brought his sort of all this NBA experience and a knowledge to the program. So I was able to learn a lot from him. And we were able to bring some more really good players into the program. Probably top of that list for everyone would be Colin Sexton. And um, to be around Colin for his entire recruitment, his year at Alabama, for us to achieve what we did, getting back to the tournament, winning that game against Virginia Tech, giving Villanova a heck of a battle. Uh, two years ago, you know, when they dominated everyone, man, it was so much fun. I've got so many memories from that and relationships from that. And those, the, I wouldn't trade those nine years for anything. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, there's so many different games and moments that probably stand out to you. And I know it's going to be hard for you to single out one, but I know that's the question everybody always wants to ask, you know, when, when you're in that type of role for that long, are there any just memorable moments that stand out more than others, whether from an on-court, off-court standpoint, it just made you say, wow, you know, this, this is really awesome. Uh, this is something else right here. For sure, for sure. Um, probably the one game that stands out is the home game we played against Oklahoma last season, so 17-18. Uh, we have really good fans at Alabama. Our fans are, from a basketball standpoint, are underrated. People think uh, – I keep saying we, by the way, Blake. I uh, <laughs> Clearly, I'm going to have to get used to being out of the program and saying they, but um, it's just a part of it for so long. But um, Alabama basketball fans are really passionate, and they turn out really well. Um, we probably don't – they probably don't get the credit they deserve. But the game against Oklahoma two years ago in the SEC Big 12 Challenge was a hard sellout. It was a whiteout, which we don't do that kind of thing very often, but everyone was wearing white. Uh, Trey Young was really, really hyped up. Obviously, great player. Just He's in the midst of an incredible rookie season in Atlanta. And they come in, and it's kind of this Colin Sexton-Trey Young hyped-up matchup. And um, we had played pretty well that year. We really needed that game for our tournament resume. And, man, our players were so fired up. And we went out there, and um, we won the game. We played really well. We had some you know, some alley-oops and some, some plays in transition that got our fans into the game. And it's, I've never been in a louder building than Coleman Coliseum against Oklahoma that day. And um, it was Herb Jones coming out party in a lot of ways too because he basically guarded Trey Young for most of the game one-on-one and did 
as good a job against him as anyone. Uh, a few other games that stick out, the tournament win against Virginia Tech that same year clearly is a really, really special game for us. The SEC tournament game last year against A&M with Collins buzzer yeah. beater obviously was a, a huge moment. I'll never forget that. And, and there are some games from, from back in my um, earlier days at Alabama that stand out. Uh, the 2010 game against Arkansas at home um, where we clinched the SEC West title. By the way, that's how long I was in Alabama. We still had East and West divisions in basketball. Yeah, then. right. <laughs> um, that game was huge. And anytime you went on the road, we Auburn's our rival. Everybody knows that. We won. I've been on teams that won on the road twice. There's really nothing sweeter than a road victory, especially against your rival. So, yeah, man, um, those are some of the ones that stand out. And, and I could probably sit here and talk to you for 10 more minutes about all these games, <laughs> but I, I, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, no, I said I know when you, you're playing 35-plus games a year sometimes for, for that many years, there's plenty that can stand out. But, you know, sure. just looking at that role itself, you know, like we talked about, that director of basketball operations role is one that, that people are always kind of curious about, those on the outside, whether a fan standpoint uh, or other people who just sort of enjoy the college game. It's one that we know sort of just encompasses so many different things and, and really so many important aspects of the program. And we'll get to the scheduling stuff in a minute when we talk about what you're going to be doing now. But uh, what are maybe some of the most exciting parts of that type of job? And what are also maybe some of the biggest challenges that come with it? Man, it is a tough job to describe. And it's probably a little bit different in every program. Um, and I worked for two different coaches. So my job really did change um, when I went from working for Coach Grant to working for, for Coach Johnson because they had different philosophies and visions for how the program should run and how I fit into that. Um, you know, the fun part for me was really getting to have um, my cake and eat it too in the sense that I was able to keep one foot sol- solidly planted in the coaching world and in the team world. And I was at practice and I had relationships with the players and was, you know, in scouting meetings and was helping with scouting reports from an analytics standpoint and really got to scratch that itch of being a part of the staff and being a part of the team. But at the same time, I had my other foot firmly planted in the sort of administrative world where uh, as my role grew, especially these last few years, I was able to be um, involved heavily with with scheduling, with, with even budget, with making some decisions from an administrative standpoint or helping make those decisions that um, really have a tremendous impact on, on the program and its success. And I really enjoyed doing both of those things. So to me, that's really, that was one of the best parts of the job. And I think the, the director of ops role is unique in that you really do get to have a foot in both worlds. Um, and if you want to ask about challenges, uh, how much time do you have, Blake? Because <laughs> <laughs> there's always challenges, man. I mean, you're, you know, the way I would like to, the way I describe my job to people when they ask really simply is to say, you know, our four coaches have two jobs that are really, really important that only they can do. And that's to coach our guys and to recruit. And so my job as director of ops, along with the other support staff in our program was to try to take care of everything else so they could focus on coaching and recruiting. So if that was, you know, sort of the academic oversight of our players or, you know, making sure that our uh, the managers were doing what they were supposed to be doing in terms of laundry and setup and packing the bus, but anything related to travel or meals, the list is super long. So um, there were always fires to put out and always problems to solve. But, you know, I really did enjoy it because the people that I worked with were great and it was always a team effort. And um, at the end of the day, you really felt like you were 
invested in the team's success and actually had some impact on the team's success. Well, I know you're not going to say it, but I know a lot of coaches would say it just around the country. You know, the, the director of ops, you guys are, you know, the unsung heroes, I think, of the program. And you hear that all the time from coaches just in terms of, like you said, all the different aspects that go into it. And that kind of transitions us into what you're going to be doing now. And you you mentioned this, you know, shortly after there was a coaching change, you mentioned how you're getting ready to start something really exciting, and that's the HD intelligence, uh, the HDI. You guys, and you and Matt Dover kind of came up with this, um, are going to really dive into helping teams around the country, helping coaches, uh, scheduling, self-evaluation, scouting. Those are the three main things you mentioned uh, when you first talked about it, how did that idea sort of initially come about uh, to put this together? That's a great question. Um, you know, I connected with Matt two years ago, and he he started helping us with our schedule at Alabama. And, and what we're going to do for teams from a scheduling standpoint is a huge part of what HD Intelligence is going to be about. But I've been into basketball analytics since I, really I started at Alabama. Um, you know, I read Basketball on Paper by Dean Oliver, which is really like the money ball of basketball analytics and is um, really laid the groundwork for a lot of what, what has come after him, whether that's Ken Pomeroy and his site or one of the myriad of other analytics guys out there. Um, but I was helping our staff at Alabama with analytics uh, when, it come, when it came to scouting reports from my very first year and really, really took off my second and third year at Alabama. I probably didn't have the idea for a business for another few years after that, but I've always had this thought and this sort of question, why do all 30 NBA franchises have these fully staffed full-time hardcore analytics departments, not one person, but five, six, 10, 12 people all working behind the scenes in the areas of analytics you know, why do all 30 NBA teams invest that much in analytics and the college game, you really almost never find anything close to that. Um, It was really apparent to me how valuable analytics were and are for a team, whether they're evaluating themselves or their opponents. And then when I connected with Matt two years ago and saw what we could do with data analytics uh, in terms of helping, helping us schedule better, it was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even know this existed. So um, I guess, you know, the idea was more of a, a fantasy a few years back about helping college teams use analytics more effectively. And then when we started using Matt to help us on our schedule, I, I, that was sort of the missing piece of the puzzle. And, I, and it went from being this fantasy of an idea to this, hey, we might actually do this. And so, um, you know, over the past few months, having a lot of conversations with him about partnering to do something like this. And at the same time, in the back of my mind, realizing I was in a great spot at Alabama. People at Alabama have treated me incredibly well, whether it's administration or coaches or whoever. It's really, really hard to leave that. Um, you have to feel like you're moving into something really special to leave. Um, the way everything worked out with us, uh, Coach Johnson leaving us, hiring Coach Oates, and it just sort of made for the perfect transition opportunity for me. And Matt and I were ready to launch. So um, it was really an evolution. Uh, but I would say in the last year or so, what what was more of just a fantasy became more of a fully formed idea to the point where, you know, Blake, today's Monday. We're five days in to HD Intelligence. We we launched last Wednesday, so this is a, a brand new thing. But 
I think we have a pretty good feel for what we want to do and, and how we're going to help teams be more successful. Well, you talk about the schedule. I know you guys at Alabama were able to consistently sort of put together one of the more just complete schedules nationally when it comes to like non-conference strength of schedule and all that. I know people are always fascinated with how that comes together and just sort of looking at your schedule the past several years, you know, there was the mixture. You were playing the Arizonas, the Texases, the North, the Oregons, but you also had you know, the top mid-major programs. I can remember back, you know, there was a UT Arlington team that came in there. Uh, you look at the game against Liberty this year, all sorts of teams you guys have played over the past several years. What does sort of that process look like maybe when you first get started uh, in the off season, you start looking ahead to the schedule, and certainly we know games are lined up, you know, two-year series, all that already, but how does kind of that process come together in the off season? That's a, it's a great question. It's, it's um, the way you piece your schedule together really is in a lot of ways more, more of an art than a science. You know, yeah. what we're trying to do for teams is make it more of a science in terms of knowing, uh, using data to understand who you should schedule. But, um, but piecing the schedule together, um, you know, it isn't really simple because you have your conference games you have your tournaments. We call them our, our MTEs, exempt events that all these teams play usually around Thanksgiving. Um, you know, we have the big, big 12 SEC challenge. Other leagues have similar challenges. Uh, you have your two game series that may be already scheduled. So there are a lot of factors to consider. Um, and, and then you get to a point, most teams wait until the season is over mid, mid April, this time of year to start finalizing their schedule. So, I know this, this time last year at Alabama, we had 25 games that were scheduled, which means we had six, six games to get. And so what, what, we've ab- what we were able to do working with Matt, who obviously now he and I are business partners, and we're trying to do this with teams through HDI, is first of all, we want to, we want to know what a team's goal is with their schedule. We don't want to assume we know. It, most of the time it's going to be to make the NCAA tournament and to get the best seed possible. That was certainly our goal every year at Alabama. Um, the second thing we want to know is what's your roadmap to getting there? You know, how do you approach scheduling with that goal in mind? And what we found at Alabama and what I found in conversations with other teams and schedulers, both before and after the launch of this company was most teams don't have a really clear plan or a clear path for how to reach those goals because there's really never been anyone who's been able to sort of lay things out really clearly and and, in a data-driven way and and show what that path should be. Um, We feel like we stumbled into something really, really special in the the past two years and what we did with our schedule. And so we think that model is easily transferable to other teams. And so from a scheduling standpoint, again, we want to know what your goals are and we want to help provide you with the the roadmap to, to get there. Um, and a big piece of that is also understanding how good your team is going to be. Um, and so if, if a coach can be realistic about his own team and, and understands the concepts that we're putting into play for helping them reach their goals, then, you know, really, and I, I hesitate to say this because this isn't the be all end all, but scheduling the right way is almost like waving a magic wand over your team and making them look better than they actually are. Yeah. Because, uh, what we do from a scheduling standpoint has nothing to do with your team playing better, making more shots, grabbing more rebounds, committing fewer turnovers. We can 
take the same team that say the 40th team in the net ratings or the 40th team in Ken Palm, and just by being really strategic about who they schedule, we can make them look like the 30th or the 25th best team in the country based on their resume. The flip side of that is if, if you're haphazard in your approach to scheduling and you don't really have a plan for what you're doing, you can easily put yourself in a situation where you're, say, 40th in that net, but the committee looks at you and sees a team that's in the 50s or the 60s. Um, and as you know, Blake, that's the difference between getting in the tournament, <laughs> yep. uh, staying at home, getting fired even, versus making the big dance, getting a good seed, advancing, and, and all the benefits that come with that. Well, you brought up a couple things that I want to touch on in that because I think they're they're two of sort of kind of the most talked about parts of this whole aspect now when it comes to making the NCAA tournament. Um, starting with sort of the the net rankings and all that, the NCAA introduced that this season. Um, it, it seemed like there were some positive things, and we all kind of remember the the RPI flawed. Just kind of it's one of those systems where, and I think you could say that about a lot of systems. There, there's always flaws. But when you see this new net ranking introduced this season, do you see this kind of as more of a positive? Because it seems like from the NCAA tournament selection standpoint, which I know, you know, being in Alabama, being on the bubble, it's not something that's always, um, especially this past season, it's not an ideal scenario. But you feel like that aspect of it, just this net ranking thing, in terms of the full package, sort of helped uh, maybe push things forward in the right direction? For sure. Yeah, I think it was a positive change. Um, RPI was a pretty simplistic formula that had been around a long time. Teams had sort of figured out how to manipulate it and game it. Uh, the net, you can't really do that with the net. It's much more sophisticated. Um, we don't even know what the real formula is. It's a, an algorithm that incorporates computer learning and, you know, machine learning, I guess. I don't, that's above my head. Yeah. <laughs> but what I do know, what I do know is that the net, more accurately reflects a team strength. You know, there's a reason the net tends to line up with Ken Palm and BPI, uh, even though it's a slightly different formula. Uh, it's just it's just a better way to evaluate teams. But I will say this: what what you have to keep in mind about net it's it's kind of like the dirty little secret of net, and it was the same with RPI. Is your own team's net is is really not important at all. Right. It's ninety percent of what net is all about is is it's used as a sorting tool to evaluate your opponents. Yeah. So that, there's a reason there were teams in the 60s and 70s in net that got at-large bids this year, and there were teams in the 30s and 40s that didn't. Because um, at the end of the day, the committee really is much more interested in looking at your four quadrants and how you performed against those other teams that are being sorted by net. That's much more important than you know your own net. Well, and you mentioned too, you know, the the mid major aspect of this whole thing. It's someone people always talk about, and I, and I think this year you had a lot of people that were excited to see, you know, a Belmont get an at large bid and have an opportunity to to win a game in the NCAA tournament, like they did. Um, uh, you know, from from a mid major perspective, and like you said, you've been on the SEC side of this. Uh, people are always sort of talking about the, the tough, the difficulties that come with the scheduling from the mid-major standpoint. Um, is there something, is is there a surefire solution to, to being able to maybe narrow the gap there? Or is it just simply a matter of, you know, everybody's got to play this many games and everybody's trying to sort of fit in games here and there. And it, maybe there's just not a perfect solution when it comes to, to maybe mid-major teams that, that have trouble uh, scheduling up, I guess you could say. 
Yeah, it's really hard because, you know, two thirds of your schedule roughly is dictated by your conference, right? And so if your conference is not strong, it just creates such a huge imbalance between your schedule and then like say a power conference team's schedule. Now the obvious solution to that is for those mid-major teams to go out and schedule better games. But as you're mentioning here, um, that's easier said than done. I do think one of the benefits of taking a more data-driven approach to scheduling, like for an Alabama, for example, is, uh, and you don't only see this with Alabama, North Carolina, I think is really, um, and I don't know if they use analytics to do this or if they're taking some other approach, but just looking at the teams they play, like for example, a road game at Wofford, um, they've realized that there's value in playing these good mid-major games, even on the road. But, you know, 90% of power conference teams out there would give the idea of playing Wofford on the road about one second of thought, and then they'd say, heck no. Yeah. But um, one, of the, one of the benefits of taking a more data-driven approach to scheduling is more often than not, and again, it depends on how good your team is. North Carolina, for example, is usually pretty good. But more often than not, it, it benefits you and helps you overall to play good mid-major teams. Um, in other words, the, the, the approach that some power conference teams continue to take towards scheduling, which I would call an outdated approach, is that our non-conference schedule is mainly about racking up wins and playing bad teams at home that we know we can beat. Well, the committee honestly doesn't reward that behavior. So if your goal is to get into the tournament and to attain the best seed you can, um, you need to take the approach of playing some better teams and whether you play them at home or on the road or on a neutral site, um, that's what helps you the most. And I think that ends up helping them in some ways. Like I'll give you an example. You mentioned before we played Liberty on a neutral floor, that game helped us because we won. It was a quadrant two win, one of our better wins this season, but that game also helped Liberty and it was a close game. And if they pull that game off, that's a quadrant one win for Liberty. So, um, you know, we, we've, been, we've never scheduled Belmont, but we've been in discussions to play Belmont. You know, we played a Murray State team this year that was obviously really, really good. So hopefully we can get a situation where these power conference teams realize there's value in playing the Belmonts of the world, and that'll be a mutually beneficial thing for, for both sides. And I know we could sit here and talk for hours about all these different aspects, but I would rather you be able to to help these teams around the country start scheduling, so I'm not going to keep you much longer. But to tie it all into the SEC, uh, you've been in that conference for a while now, like we said, and I think that's one of the biggest things, You know, just seeing the growth of the SEC from not only just an on-court product type of standpoint, but also from a scheduling standpoint we've seen the the kind of change from what you just mentioned about just maybe you know lining up teams you know you're going to beat by 20 or 30 uh, and instead going to more of that uh, you know disciplined type of approach uh, when it comes to to putting your schedule together how has that played such a huge role in the SEC's kind of I guess you could say sort of just bursting onto the scene nationally and now really becoming uh, one of the premier conferences around the country yeah look I don't ever want to overstate, you know, the, 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 or make it appear that scheduling is the most important thing your program can do. I mean, obviously, if you're looking at the SEC's, you know, run of success here recently, and like you said, bursting on the scene, that has a lot more to do with great coaches in this league, yep. with recruiting this league, with, with players coming back to school, whether you're talking about PJ Washington or Grant Williams or Jared Harper, whoever, like, when you have great coaches and great players who are in school for two, three, four years, that's how you have great teams. 
but man, the scheduling piece really can be a differentiator. So whether it's Alabama talk, playing the schedule we've talked about, or, you know, whether it's Auburn playing a road game at Murray state, or, you know, we can go on the sec, you know, I know this year, South Carolina scheduled Virginia and Michigan. I mean, teams in our league for the most part, they do get it and they understand. And a lot of that due to our conference office, they deserve a lot of credit for really communicating and, and holding teams accountable and, and just, letting the 14 SEC schools know, man, you guys need to schedule in a way that's going to benefit you on Selection Sunday. Like, in other words, when you're putting your schedule together, don't put it together thinking about April and December. Think about March. I always told our coaches, because there's a couple assistants who would give me a hard time about how tough our schedule was. I'd say, man, I'd rather we be happy in March than happy in November. In other words, you don't get any awards for being, you know, 10 and one, uh, you know, in the non-conference, but, but when you're, when you're in the tournament on selection Sunday, that, that, that's, that's what really matters. So I think it's played a factor in the conference for sure. And and the league office deserves a lot of credit for trying to move that ball forward. Colton, uh, like I said, man, we we could talk for a long time about this. Uh, There's so many different sort of fascinating aspects to it all, but before we wrap this up, I certainly want to give you the opportunity uh, to let people know kind of where they're going to be able to to find more information about this and sort of what you guys have on the horizon there. Man, Blake, man, it's been fun. I wish we could sit here and talk hoops for longer, (laughs) but, uh, but I know all good things come to an end, man. Um, Yeah. So, the company is called HD Intelligence. Uh, my partner is Matt Dover. Uh, we are an analytics consulting company that, that serves college basketball programs. So um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Colton underscore Houston. You can email me at Colton at HDintelligence.com. Our website is under construction. Like I said, we're five days old, but that'll be up and running soon. And, um, you know, I know we talked a lot about the scheduling aspect of our, our business here today, but what we want to do as well is bring what we're calling an NBA approach to analytics to college basketball. So uh, there, are, there are a small number of, of programs that we want to partner with to help them with their, their scouting analytics and with their team optimization as well. And I know we don't have time to go in that, into that today, but that's a huge piece of what we're going to be about at, at HDI as well. And uh, man, we're excited. We, we had a tremendous response up in Minneapolis and Matt and I were both there. We probably talked to 50 different teams about, everything we have to offer. And I've been on a bunch of calls even since I got back uh, Sunday evening. So we've hit the ground running, man. And, and it's been a lot of fun. And thanks thanks again for having me on. I've been a fan of yours for, for a while now, Blake. So this was a lot of fun for me. Uh, hey, I really appreciate that. That was I was going to bring that up. You've been one of the ones that sort of uh, supported what I've done. And that's not always easy on the SEC basketball front. When we know uh, when the calendar changes to football, it's kind of hard to uh, – to keep things out there, but I really appreciate all your support, and we'll definitely have you on again, man. So uh, thanks, so thanks again for coming on, and uh, good luck with everything. Same to you. Really appreciate it, Blake. Thanks. All right, that was the conversation with former Alabama uh, Director of Basketball Operations, Colton Houston, and like we mentioned, now the founder of HD Intelligence. Uh, they are really building something special here, and as you guys heard, uh, they, they are excited, and there's already, I'm sure, tons of coaches, tons of teams around the country that, that are excited about what they're going to be able to offer the game of college basketball. But 
This was uh, sort of a, a new sort of start for the Southeast Hoops podcast here, as you guys sort of noticed. Um, a more lengthy conversation on lots of different elements, and we're going to do a lot more of that now as we've hit the offseason. The NCAA championship game officially in the books on Monday night uh, with Virginia winning the national championship. But now we're going to turn our focus to lots of great stuff as we go through the offseason. As I've told you guys many times, uh, we sort of are able to pick things up really and keep covering this uh, year-round when it comes to SEC basketball, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to tie in all sorts of different elements on here. I've got lots of great guests lined up. I mentioned not only are we going to have current coaches on, uh, we're going to bring back former coaches, former players around the SEC. We're going to have a lot of fun with this podcast as we go throughout uh, the offseason and uh, also going to continue to do the periscopes. Uh, those will probably be a bit more scheduled than usual, although, we'll, as always, we'll jump on those and do them if there's any you know big stuff to talk about on a certain day. But we're going to try to make those a bit more scheduled throughout the week. That way, we can still catch up, uh, answer all your questions, uh, and have sort of a mailbag type of theme on the periscope since we continue to have lots and lots of people join them. Uh, as we we've done over the past several weeks so uh, this is sort of a the the biggest part and sort of the the next step for us as we expand things more on southeasthoops.com not only with the podcast also with the written stuff when it comes to recruiting and all that so if you're someone that loves sec basketball be sure you're subscribed to the podcast go over to any podcast app that you use search for southeast hoops that way you get all of these episodes and conversations that we're going to have with people all throughout the, the world of SEC basketball, uh, both past, present. It's we're gonna we're gonna have all sorts of people on this podcast, and I think you're really going to enjoy these conversations as we go throughout the off season and into next season, of course. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you subscribe. Keep checking southeastsoups.com. Follow me on Twitter at the Blake Level. That way you uh, get the notifications when we do the periscopes. Uh, just a lot of fun and as always as sort of we start a, a new season but uh, basically starting a new off season I thank you guys for all your support uh, this past season and now we start to get ready for the new one even just a day after uh, you know the, the 2019 season the 2019 tournament is over uh, we're already getting started cranking things up uh, as we roll into the summer and into next season. So uh, thanks as always for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.